Oh, you're recording this? I am now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. We're recording. This is our podcast. This is、Yay. the Humanist Agenda podcast. <laughs> and I will quickly introduce myself. My name is Kenny Koo, and I'm a member of the Humanist Association of London and Area. And I will pass it on to my other co hosts. I'm Sherry Ketty, and I'm a board member on the Humanist Association of London and Area. I've been a board member for a couple of years.、Uh, my name is Selena Everling. I'm also a board member,、um, and I recently just joined that position in January, and I'm really excited to be part of this podcast. My name is Will Rathwaite, and I'm an aspiring board member of the London Humanist Association.、Uh, also, significant other of Selena Everling, and I'm also excited to be a part of this podcast. Okay, so why don't we maybe for listeners kind of summarize what humanism even is?、Uh, do you want to maybe summarize it for us, Selena? Sure. Well, a simple enough definition of humanism comes from the title of Greg Epstein's excellent book.、Um, but really, the main thing is just humanism is good without God. And it elements two really important things one is being good, so a life of integrity, meaning, ethics, and compassion, and just kind of treating. Other people with respect and just really believing that humans are moral good people. And then the other aspect is that we are without God. A lot of us are、um, atheists or agnostics or skeptics, and we're really kind of rooted in science and rational thinking. So we don't rely on some kind of God to tell us what is moral and what is good. Um, we kind of find that on our own. Anything to add to that? I, I think that's a good summary, and I, I'm sure in future episodes we'll kind of dig a little deeper. So, we have to say a disclaimer opinions expressed in this podcast may not reflect that of the Humanist Association of London area. So, when every, every time we refer to HALA on this podcast, it's essentially the Humanist Association of London area. So, Rod Martin will be giving a lecture on Stoicism. And this was recorded in one of our members' meetings, and、uh, he gave about an hour lecture on the topic. So, we'll replay the Lecture here and come back to the next episode when we release it, and all of us will have a discussion around the lecture. So, Sherry, why don't you、uh, tell us what、uh, Rod's lecture is all about? So, Stoicism is a philosophical tradition founded in Athens around 300 BC, which flourished for 500 years and still fascinates people today. In this talk, Rod Martin will provide an overview of the history and key concepts of Stoicism. And we'll discuss its relevance for us today. Rod is the president of HALA and is a retired professor of clinical psychology at the University of Western Ontario. And if you want to follow along with Rod's slides, we will post the link of his presentation in the podcast notes as well. And feel free to check out the website for a link to his presentation as well. So here we go. Now, I'd like to introduce our speaker who really needs no introduction. He is the president of HALA, and he、um, is going to be speaking tonight on Stoicism. And I did a, a search for, for Rod just because he didn't send me any information until just a day or two ago. And he has his own Wikipedia page, so check it out with all these publications of. Uh, papers he has either written or co written, and it's a, quite an impressive list. But Rod grew up in Sault Ste. Marie and was actually raised in an evangelical Christian home.、Um, after high school, he decided that he wanted to go to Bible college and, in fact, has his Bachelor of Theology degree. 
began to question his religion and finally felt he couldn't believe what he was teaching anymore. So he left, went back to school at the University of Waterloo, and eventually completed his PhD in clinical psychology. He then started work at our own university, Western University, until he retired two years ago. Much of his research has been on the psychology of humor, focusing particularly on the relationship between humor and psychological well-being. And I can see we could probably have Rod come up for two other sessions, one on leading your religion and one on psychology of humor in the 21st century. Anyways, Rod joined the Hala organization about 12 years ago, has been on the board since 2008, and this is his eighth year as the president of our association. He and his wife, Myra, have three adult children, and I know he doesn't look like it, but he has eight grandchildren. Congratulations. I don't have any. Alex, Anna. <laughs> so I'd like to introduce again our president, Rod Martin, to come up and do the presentation, Stoicism and Ancient Philosophy for the 21st Century. Thank you, Carl, for that nice introduction. Is this thing working? Can you hear me okay back there? Um, okay, so uh, by the way, one of my one of my sons is here this evening, Ben. I'm proud to have him here, and he's the father of two of my granddaughters. I have actually the eight grandchildren. Six of them are girls. No, seven of them are girls. Seven are girls and one boy. So, anyways. Uh, I think I'm becoming a Stoic, and so I want to tell you about this. Uh, I started getting into Stoicism about five or six years ago when I came across a book uh, by a, a contemporary philosopher talking about Stoicism as not just an ancient philosophy from the Greeks and Romans, but a philosophy that has relevance for us today. And I found it really interesting, and I that led me to reading other books, and the more I've gotten into it, the more I find that it really fits with my own kind of way of thinking. In fact, I, I think that I probably already had stoic leanings even before I knew what stoicism is all about. And uh, the thing I like about stoicism uh, is, well, first of all, it is completely consistent with humanism. So, uh, you know, uh, an atheist or agnostic outlook on, on life, but it also, it goes beyond humanism. So it provides a, a, more, com, a more comprehensive kind of uh, a frame of reference, you could say, for, for living our lives. So it, it, it helps us to kind of think about how to live life on a day-to-day -day basis, how to make decisions, how to relate to other people, how to deal with problems, and so on which is something that humanism doesn't really do. We, we saw a couple of um, the principles of humanism there that, that Carl showed, and they kind of hint at something like stoicism. They, they sort of, the principles sort of say that we all have the, the right to find a philosophy for ourselves, basically. But it doesn't, it doesn't, they don't talk about what that philosophy might be. They don't really talk about, well, how do we go about living a life of them? living our lives as a humanist. And so I find stoicism to be really helpful 
in that regard. So I, I think I kind of think of myself. I'm still a humanist, of course. So I'm a humanist, and I'm also a stoic. And I, I don't want to, you to think, though, that I'm going to try to convert you all to Stoicism here tonight, because I recognize that Stoicism is not necessarily going to appeal to everybody. And, uh, but I do think that it would be good for all of us to have a philosophy, whatever it might be, uh, you know, Stoicism or something else, uh, you know, for living our lives, because I think it's really important for having kind of a, a focus and a a way of thinking about, about our lives. So why do I like Stoicism? What are the benefits of Stoicism? So I've just got a list here of things that kind of came to my mind as I think about how Stoicism has been helpful to me and how I think it can be helpful to others as well. Basically, Stoicism is a philosophy that helps you understand how to have deep satisfaction with life and inner tranquility, how to take charge of your own life, how to be the best person you can be, how to remain rational and realistic, how to be free from anger, envy, and bitterness towards other people, how to make good decisions, how to know what's important, how to stop caring about what other people think about you, how to have security, or serenity rather, even in adversity, loss, illness, and death, how to deal with difficult, obnoxious people, how to overcome anxiety, worry, depression, and guilt, how to stop avoiding things that normally trouble you, how to have confidence to handle whatever life throws at you. So it covers quite a lot. And when you read that, you, it, it might make you think of uh, one of these kind of popular self-help books, right? They promise everything. And in a way, Stoicism was the original self-help program, really, when you go back 2,000 years. But it's not a, a, a sort of simplistic, superficial kind of uh, thing that most of the modern self-help books are. It's really a well-thought-out philosophy. And in fact, it's pretty difficult to put it into practice. It's pretty demanding. Uh, to, to really practice Stoicism. I should have said at the beginning, I've become a Stoic, but I can't say that I'm a very good one yet. I still have a long ways to go, I think. So, again, you notice all of those things that I just mentioned there are things that humanism doesn't really talk about. The, the 12 principles of humanism don't really address all of these kinds of things. And, I, and when I, you think back over the years, the 12 years that I've been in Halle, I don't, I can't remember very often having meetings where we talk about this sort of thing. It's not the kind of thing we tend to talk about as humanists. And maybe, you know, again, I'm not saying that we should just be all become Stoics and talk about Stoicism all the time, but I think it might be good to think about some of these things. So one of the common misconceptions or stereotypes of Stoicism that people have is that, you know, to be Stoic, or stoical means that you have to be like this guy, Spock from Star Trek, you know, who had no emotion whatsoever, either positive or negative emotion, no feeling. He was just pure rationality and intellect. And so the common uh, notion is that stoicism involves repressing all your emotions and just being completely free of emotion. But that's really a misconception. In fact, for one thing, Sto Stoics really value positive emotions. 
joy, love, gratitude, awe, humor, and laughter. So the Stoics, when you read the Stoic writings, even in ancient times, they were very happy people. They talked about joy. They had a sense of humor. Their humor comes through in their writing. And also, when it comes to negative emotions, rather than repressing emotions, what they really talked about is understanding and managing negative emotions like depression, guilt, anxiety, fear, anger. Uh, they, so a big part of Stoicism is really trying to understand why we experience negative emotions and how we can manage them so that they don't become overwhelming. They don't interfere with our ability to think rationally. And it was really this view of negative emotions that was one of the things that attracted me to Stoicism in the first place, because as a clinical psychologist, I'm very interested in psychotherapies for emotional disorders. And uh, in fact, what I came to realize is that Stoicism is actually the basis for the most popular, the, the best known evidence-based approach to psychotherapy today, which is cognitive behavior therapy. There's all kinds of science supporting the, the, uh, the uh, effectiveness of CBT, cognitive behavior therapy, for treating all kinds of emotional disorders. And it's based on stoicism when you really look at it. it it's, it's not totally stoicism, but that, that's kind of the origins of it. And the other thing that I like as a, a humanist what I like about Stoicism is that it emphasizes rationality and a reality-based view of the world. So the Stoics were really against superstition and delusional thinking and that sort of thing. Okay, so where did Stoicism come from? So just very briefly, uh, it started back in 300 BC and it was originated by this person, Zeno of Sidium. I'm not sure that that's what he actually looked like, but uh, that's a statue of him. Uh, so around 300 BC, this guy, he, he was from Cyprus, and he turned up in Athens, Greece, after having lost all his possessions in a shipwreck. He was completely destitute, and he arrived in Athens, and he said, okay, what am I gonna do now? I've lost everything, and so he decided to study philosophy. So he started following philosophers around and learning everything he could from them. And after a period of time, he started his own philosophy. So he uh, borrowed some of the ideas from other philosophers like Socrates and Aristotle and Plato and others, but he also had a number of insights of his own that made his philosophy really quite unique. Now, the word stoic comes from the Greek word stoa, which is the word for a porch, like a covered porch or a colonnade. And there was this kind of a porch all around the agora, the marketplace in central Athens. And this is where Zeno and his followers would hang out all the time and discuss philosophy. And they would invite other people who happened to be following by, going by to stop in and talk with them as well. So they, they became known as the people of the Stoa, or the Stoics. So that's where the, the name came from. So after Zeno died, uh, his philosophy just spread quite quickly through the entire Roman Empire and became really popular 
and really well known. And in fact, by the first century AD, it's estimated that about one in four educated citizens of the Roman Empire were Stoics. So it was a, it was a very well-known philosophy. And the writings that we have today, there were all kinds of writings back in ancient times written by Stoics, but most of them have been lost. But we do still have a good, a good number of, of writings, and they all come, most of them come from three authors who lived in the first two centuries AD. So the first of these is Seneca. Uh, he, he was in the first century AD. He wrote a large number of letters and essays on sort of on Stoicism and applying Stoicism to all kinds of everyday problems and issues. And we still have many of his letters, well over a hundred of his letters and essays. And, uh, and so they're a really important source of information for us today. And then of course, Epictetus was a philosopher. He was actually born a slave and he was crippled with his crutch there in the picture, uh, he, he was crippled by a cruel master who broke his leg when he was a child. He was eventually uh, freed and got into philosophy, became a Stoic, and started a, a school of Stoicism that people came to from all over the, the Roman Empire to study with him. And we still have a couple of his books, Discourses and the Handbook that uh, are, are still available to us today. And then the third person is Marcus Aurelius, who was, he of course was an emperor of the Roman Empire. And he was really the only true philosopher king in all of history. He studied, he learned, learned about Stoicism as a young man from one of his teachers, and he really tried to put Stoicism into practice throughout his life as an emperor. And he wrote this book, The Meditations, which was really just a diary or a journal that he kept. It was really written to himself. He would jot down notes in the evening to remind himself of Stoic principles and to try to keep himself on the, on the Stoic path and to cope with all the stresses of running the Roman Empire. And uh, so his book has been a source of inspiration to people all through the centuries since then, in, including several presidents of the United States who um, have commented on how beneficial it was to have a copy of Marcus Aurelius's Meditations at their bedside while they were president. Not Donald Trump, by the way. <laughs> Donald Trump is the opposite of a Stoic. If you want to know what a Stoic is not, <laughs> look at Donald Trump. So anyways, uh, after Marcus Aurelius, Stoicism died out completely. And this was really due to the rise of Christianity, which came along shortly after that. And Christians tended to suppress all these, these pagan uh, philosophies. And uh, from, there were a number of philosophers over the centuries who were influenced by Stoicism, but there were none who actually called themselves a Stoic until, interestingly, about 20 years ago, in the last two decades, there's been a complete revival of Stoicism among some academic philosophers and, and other just you know, lay people. Quite a large number of books have been written. Uh, again, academic philosophy books, as well as 
uh, books for the general public. There are websites and blogs <coughs> that you can uh, get onto. So there's a lot of information out there about Stoicism now, and and uh, and uh, and a, a lot of sort of renewed interest in Stoicism as a as a way of life for us today. And and they have to kind of update things. So so there's been kind of um, adapting ancient Stoicism to what we know today in the 21st century. So for example, I mean, obviously some of the ideas of the Stoics were, uh, were just not consistent with <coughs> what we know today, right? They were 2,000 years ago. They had no conception of science or anything like that. And so there, some of their ideas uh, definitely just have to be discarded. So for example, they, um, they were pantheists, which is the belief that the physical universe, the entire physical universe is God. And so if they think of it like they, they thought of the universe as sort of like this giant brain, if you will, that has a mind. And our minds are a part of that universal mind. And they refer to that universal mind as God, or Zeus, or the Logos, or just nature. So when they talked about nature, they were talking about this divine being. So of course, that's something that doesn't fit with our thinking today, especially not for us as humanists. And uh, so when you read the ancient Stoic writings, they, do, they talk about God. And so you do have to kind of uh, do some mental gymnastics when you're when you're dealing with that. But you can think of it as nature, or you can think of it, yeah, just as the universe or whatever. But the good thing is that dropping out those things does not do any damage to the core philosophy. So it, it's it's not a problem to uh, to update it to our modern scientific knowledge. They had some other uh, ideas that are actually quite consistent with us, particularly as humanists, one of the ideas was they were materialists, which means that they did not believe that there's anything other than the, the physical, observable world, universe around us. So they, did, they didn't believe in any kind of supernatural powers or beings or supernatural realm like heaven or whatever. So they were, they were uh, materialists. And uh, along with that, well, like even, as I said, their concept of God was that he was the physical universe, right? So God is not some spiritual being in heaven. He is the actual universe, right? Uh, they also believed that they were monists rather than dualists, meaning that they did not believe in the idea that humans have a soul, which is kind of a spiritual entity that, can exist apart from our body and that lives on after we die, which of course almost all religions believe. So they didn't believe that because they were materialists. And uh, so they believe that when we die, our soul dies, our mind dies with, with our body. And uh, they talked about the soul, but it was really what we would now call the mind, really. So they really focused on, we just have this one life to live here on earth, and uh, so we, we need to make the best of it, and we need to value it. Okay, so what did the Stoics believe? So the basic belief that they had, or the basic, basic idea, or the 
goal of Stoicism was happiness. So what they were really interested in is how can we as humans have happiness? And they, for happiness, they used the, word, the, the Greek word eudaimonia. So eudaimonia is happiness in Greek. And it, it means something more than the way we think of happiness today. So we typically, you know, we think of, we say, I'm happy. Usually it's sort of a short-term, uh, cheerful state, it's kind of a temporary cheerful state that depends on what's going on in your life, right? If, if things are going well, you're happy, right? If things are going badly, you're not happy. So eudaimonia is not just this superficial, temporary, cheerful mood, but instead it's a more fundamental, uh, deep-seated kind of sense of well-being that people can carry around with them. So a deep, enduring sense of fulfillment or human flourishing, a satisfaction with a life well-lived. So this kind of happiness that they were talking about does not depend on external circumstances. You can have happiness even when things are not going well in your life. And you know, even if you're, you know, things are going really badly, you can have that inner sense of well-being and satisfaction with your life and feeling that you're a worthwhile human being and uh, and all of that. So another a Greek term that the Stoics uh, used a lot is ataraxia, which means tranquility or equanimity or serenity. So this was really sort of the, the Stoic ideal was that we would have this inner tranquility, that we would, all, as we go through life, we would always have this tranquility, which would be like a, um, a calm state of mind, that is free of negative emotion, but also includes positive emotion, particularly joy. So it's sort of a, a joyful uh, sense of equanimity and, and tranquility. And that was really what they, uh, they strive for, what they aim for in life. And the whole philosophy is really about how can we be happy and how can we have tranquility? So if you, if that sounds good to you, if you would like to be happy and you would like tranquility in your life, Stoicism may be for you. And the Stoics thought hard and long and deep about, uh, about these issues, about what, what causes happiness? How can we, you know, what, what are the things that make us happy and how can we have uh, enduring happiness? And then also, what are the things that interfere with happiness? What are the things that make us unhappy? And how can we avoid those things? So the whole philosophy is all about avoiding things that make us unhappy and, and, uh, and finding happiness. And they, and they developed this, I think, really sort of a radical philosophy um, that says that happiness is in your power. You don't... Uh, you don't have to depend on things that are out of your, outside of your control for happiness. In fact, you should not depend on, on those kinds of things, but you can find happiness within the things that you have control over. So that was really, that's the, sort of the, the promise of stoicism, if you will, 
is that you can find you can have control over your own happiness. But it really involves quite a radical change in thinking, I think, for a lot of people. It's really, and it, and it takes a lot of effort to, to think this way because it's quite different from the way we normally think and the way most people think around us. So one of the key things that they came up with, that they, and this is not, they were not the only ones. Other philosophers thought the same way. So they were, they were in agreement with Socrates, for example, and uh, Aristotle, for example, in saying that a really important thing for happiness is virtue. So virtue is, a necessary, is necessary and sufficient for true happiness and tranquility. And the word virtue in Greek is arete, which means excellence of character. So it, it really it has to do with being an excellent human being. being, Trying to be the best person you can be, essentially, is what it boils down to. And so they're saying that happiness and tranquility are natural consequences being a good, decent human being. Now, the, the idea of virtue is something that is not very popular today in our culture. You know, most people, they think of, you know, talking about virtue is seen as kind of um, preachy, for one thing, kind of moralistic, and, uh, and maybe a little elitist as well. And, uh, and I think part of the problem is that the concept of virtue was co-opted by Christianity over the centuries, and, and, and it took on this whole Christian kind of moralistic kind of uh, flavor that people you know, are not comfortable with today. But if we go back to the ancient Greeks and Romans once again, and look at what they meant by virtue, basically it's just this sense of, of living the kind of life that most people would think is the way you should live. That basically, it's, it's a set of uh, characteristics or behavior, a behavior pattern, if you will, that is universally seen as being a desirable way to live. So the Stoics, uh, along with uh, Aristotle and others, uh, felt that virtue is made up of four, there's four cardinal virtues that together make virtue. So the first of these is wisdom, and it's practical wisdom. So it has to do with knowing what to do in any given situation. That's basically what they were talking about with wisdom. Then the second is justice. And justice has to do with the way we relate to other people, the way we treat other people. So it would include things like benevolence, fairness, compassion, social justice, concern for others. So basically it's treating other people with dignity and fairness. And uh, the Stoics, by the way, really emphasize the fact that humans are social animals. We're fundamentally social beings and we need other people in order to, to flourish. And so they talk a lot about relating well to other people, treating other people well and having good relationships with other people. But they also, by the way, talked about how other people can be a huge source of unhappiness to us as well, right? All those jerks and idiots out there that we have to deal with all the time can make us, can interfere with our happiness. And so they also talked a lot about how to, how to deal with that and how to avoid letting other people 
destroy your happiness. So that was really important. And then the third virtue is courage. And again, this is moral courage rather than physical courage. So the courage to do the right thing, basically, even when it goes against popular opinion, and even when it's difficult to do, having courage to go ahead and do the right thing. And then finally, self-control uh, or temperance. And uh, so this would be restraint, moderation, avoiding excesses, avoiding addictions to anything, whether it be drugs or alcohol or food or sex or money or other people's approval or Facebook, for example, or whatever it might be, because addictions take away our freedom, our, our personal freedom. So together, all of these things they felt is really important for happiness. And really because when you think about it, if you live this way, if you try to be a decent person, then you have no reason for feeling guilty, you know, and that and guilt is one of the big things that interferes with our happiness, right? Or, and, and you don't, you, other people can't blame you, at least not legitimately. They might try to blame you, but you have, you have that inner sense of well-being because you know you're doing the right thing. And uh, so that's really important. So this was a key thing in Stoicism. And if you think about it, what do most people... So Stoics say virtue is what you need for happiness. But what do most people think they need in order to be happy in the world around? If you, if you just observe the way people live their lives and what all, they put all their energy and time into, well, money, it, money. this is it. Money. A beautiful house, a fancy car, nice clothes, the latest uh, iPod and you know gadget, and also popularity, social status, being well liked, being famous, basically being rich and famous are the sort of what it all boils down to, right? But also being healthy, being physically fit, being beautiful is nice, you know, to, for happiness. So people spend their time and they, they, they focus their lives on these kinds of things. And they think, if I could only have more money, if I could only have, you know, a, a nicer house, I would be happy. And uh, this is really the basis of our current, our consumer, consumer society that we live in. It's the philosophy of our, of our age, really. And the interesting thing is, this was the same back in ancient times. Back in ancient times, this is what people were concerned about as well. So the Stoics had an interesting take on all of this. So first of all, they said, don't be fooled by all of this. Money, status, even good health and all these things are irrelevant to happiness. And so they refer to them as indifference. So all of those kinds of things are indifferent because they make no difference one way or the other to our happiness. In fact, they would say, these things, if you, if you base your happiness on having those kinds of things, you're opening yourself up to a lot of unhappiness. Because typically, when people base their happiness on this sort of thing, they're never satisfied. The more they get, the more they want. They get have a big beautiful house and a, you know lots of money, but there's always somebody else who has even a bigger house and more money, and so they're always kind of envious and wanting to 
wanting to improve, you know, always thinking if I could only have even a little more, then I'd be happy. And on the other hand, people can be poor, they can be have low status, they can be ill, they can even be in pain, they can even be tortured and still have that inner sense of eudaimonia, that inner happiness that the Stoics talked about, you know, that basic sense of fulfillment and tranquility. So these things are indifferent. But interestingly, the Stoics had an interesting take on this. They said it's still preferable to have money than to have poverty. It's still preferable to have some status, to have no status, or to it's preferable to be healthy than to be ill. And so they talked about the idea of preferred and dispreferred indifference. So they're all irrelevant to true happiness, but it's still preferable to have uh, some things and not to have other things. So they, they were saying basically it's okay to seek a good education, a good job, good income, fame and fortune, all of those things are fine. And in fact, a number of the Stoics were quite wealthy, like Seneca, for example, was really a rich person. And uh, Mar Marcus Aurelius, of course, he was the emperor of the Roman Empire. And uh, so it's okay to, you know, seek those kinds of things, but you always have to remind yourself that these are not really <coughs> important to your happiness or tranquility. So you always have to keep reminding yourself, this is not what my happiness depends on. And don't get too attached to these things. And in fact, you should remind yourself that you could lose them. So you, you, could, you could lose your job. There could be a stock market crash and you lose all your, your wealth. You could get a diagnosis of a terminal disease. So it can end. And that would not make any difference to your happiness if you're following this stoic approach. So enjoy it while you can, but don't become too attached to it. And uh, don't, you know, don't let it be the basis of your happiness. So it's a kind of an interesting perspective. So along with all of this, the stoics, you know, thinking about what are the things that destroy our happiness one of the things they came up with, really important thing, is this, the dichotomy of control. Basically, what they came to recognize is that a lot of our unhappiness comes from trying to control things that we really don't have any control over. And we fail to recognize. We, don't, we, 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 we think we have control over things. We act as though they do, but we, we really don't. And so this was a really important thing. Right at the very beginning of his book, uh, Epictetus says, some things are up to us, some things are not up to us. Things that are up to us or in our control are things like our opinions, our judgments, or our attitudes, basically. So the way we think about things, the way we evaluate things, whether we think about them as being good or bad, helpful or harmful, that sort of thing. Uh, in our control also are our desires and aversions. So these would be the sort of the conscious, the things that we consciously choose to chase after or avoid, the things that we want to pursue in life 
or the things we want to avoid, so our values and our goals. And thirdly, our motivations, intentions, and our will, so our actions. So, so basically, they're saying that what you have control over in your life is really just your thoughts and your actions. That's what you can control. Everything else is outside your control. So he says, things that are not up to us, not in our control, are our body. So your genes, you know, you have no control over your genetic makeup, your physical health. You have limited control, but not complete control. Your physical appearance, your property, your wealth, your possessions. Again, limited control over those things. Your reputation and status. So what other people think of you. So much of our unhappiness has to do with being concerned about what other people think of us, right? What, you know, what will the neighbors think? Or, you know, what will people, what will, what will you guys think about my talk tonight? You know, will it be good enough? And we worry and we get anxious about things. But that's out of our control, what other people think. And everything that is not in our voluntary control. So what other people do in our lives is not in our control. So Epictetus said, if you confuse these things and try to control what is not up to you, you will be frustrated, depressed, anxious, and angry. But if you concern yourself only with the things that are up to you and don't concern yourself with things that are not in your control, no one will ever be able to coerce you or hold you back. No one will disturb you. You'll do nothing against your will. You'll have no enemy and no one will ever harm you because no harm can affect you. So basically it's because if you're, if you're focusing only on what you can control, you've got control over it, right? And if your happiness depends on what you have control over, nobody can harm you or nobody can take your happiness away from you. So that was again the promise of, uh, of Stoicism. So most things, you know, the Stoics recognize that most things that we try to do in life are partly in our control and partly not in our control, right? So like in your work, you're trying to do well in your job or, you know, trying to, you're putting effort into having a good family life or, uh, you know, whatever it might be, it's partly in your control. There are things you can do, but ultimately there are, you don't have complete control over it. And so the Stoics would say that we, we have control over our own efforts, what we do, but we don't have control over the final outcome. So let's say, for example, if you're applying for uh, a promotion at work and, you know, you can control how, how hard you work, how well you work to, in order to impress your boss. You can control, you can create a nice resume. You can do a really good job on an interview. But ultimately, you don't have control over who actually gets that promotion. It might be somebody else. It might not be you. So if you put your focus on, and you're, if you make your goal being to get that promotion, you can, you're opening yourself up to unhappiness because you might not get it. But instead, um, if you internalize your goals, and so in other words, internalizing the goals means that you focus on the benefit of doing all these things. So doing the best job you can in your, in, in your employment is good, regardless of whether you get the promotion or not. So focusing on the things you can do 
and then accepting the outcome with equanimity. So they use an analogy of shooting an arrow. You know, if you're shooting an arrow with a bow, uh, you can control, you know, how you aim and uh, you can practice to shoot arrows as well as possible. But once you let go of that arrow, you have no control over whether or not it hit the hits the target. There could be a gust of wind that comes up or something and, and you could miss the target. So again, the idea of focusing on what you can do, but not putting your, um, not having your goal being something that is outside your control. <clears throat> so this is not an attitude of resignation or fatalism. It's not like, oh, giving up because you can't control every, anything, so you may as well give up. In fact, the Stoics really uh, encouraged active engagement in life. They were, they were really, they were active. It was not like a contemplative kind of withdrawn kind of philosophy where you go off on a mountain and meditate or something. It was very much involved in the hustle and bustle of daily life, but keeping all of these things straight in your mind, being realistic about what you can and can't control. Now, all of this might remind you of the serenity prayer. Maybe that came to mind that's familiar with 12-step programs and Alcoholics Anonymous. <clears throat> Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And that was written by Reinhold Neighbor, who was a, a Protestant theologian in the early 1900s. And that comes straight out of Stoicism. That's where he got it. So negative emotions, or what they call passions, are obviously a major cause of unhappiness. And the Stoics, again, they thought a lot about what causes emotion, negative emotions. Why do we have negative emotions? And what can we do about it? And what they came up with, which is, again, a really kind of almost counterintuitive kind of way of thinking, is that emotions are determined by the way we think. Now this is, this is also uh, central to cognitive behavior therapy. So, um, you know, we think of emotion, negative emotions as being something that happens to us, that it's outside our control, like you get angry, or you, you, know, you, you go into a rage or whatever, and you feel like it's not in your control, but the Stoics say it's, it is in your control because it's due to the way you think, your thoughts. <clears throat> so Epictetus famously said, it isn't things or events themselves that disturb people, but the judgments that they form about those things. So unhealthy negative emotions are caused by failing to distinguish between what we can and can't control. Anxiety is all about, we worry about things that are outside of our control, right? Depression is, largely about things in the past, things that have happened in the past that are outside our control. Anger and rage are about trying to control other people and trying to punish other people or wishing that they would be punished or whatever. So now they did, the Stoics did recognize that negative emotions can arise spontaneously, like fear, like let's say you're driving along in a car. Well, this would be anger. You're driving along in a car and some idiot cuts you off and you just feel this rage welling up inside you. You feel like swearing at the guy. I don't know if that happens to you, but that happens to me. Never does, though, Andre. And so, and other things, you know, uh, fear, if you're in a dangerous situation, you can just suddenly be panicking, right? So, so the Stoics recognize that 
we do have these automatic emotions. They call them propatheia or proto-emotions that are outside our control. But what they said is that when you have those emotions, you have to train yourself to notice that and to stop and think, why am I feeling this way? So what are the automatic thoughts that are going through my, my mind at this moment that are causing me to feel this way? And again, particularly, is there something that's in my power or not in my power that's underlying this? And if it's not in my power, then there's no need to concern myself. So the Stoics argued that over time, you can actually learn to calm yourself at those times and to avoid a full-blown emotion to develop and avoid becoming overwhelmed by these negative emotions. But it does take a lot of practice. But this is one of the things I can, I can say that since I started practicing uh, Stoicism that I think I am getting better. I'm not still a long ways away, I would say, from perfect. But definitely it does help you to, uh, to not you know, become overwhelmed by negative emotions. So uh, this is the final main slide anyway. Um, that, so the Stoics recognize that it's, it's difficult to do this. You have to be constantly working at it, always thinking about these things. So they developed a number of exercises, practical exercises that you can do on a daily basis to uh, remind yourself and kind of reinforce this stoic mindset and to prepare yourself for challenges that might come up. So one of these exercises that's become fairly well known is nowadays they call it negative visualization, but the stoics in the old days called it premeditatio malorum or premeditation of um, adversity, basically. So the whole idea is that Periodically, maybe several times during the day, you remind yourself of all the, the worst things that can happen to you, basically. You contemplate losing things that you have, that you value. So, for example, you could start with something simple, like a, your favorite mug. Let's say you've got this mug that you really like. You should stop and think about, I could lose this mug. It could get broken or somebody could steal it or whatever, and that would not affect my happiness. I like this mug, but it, my happiness doesn't depend on it. And then you can graduate to more difficult things like, again, your job, your, your possessions, your car, your house, your, the money in the bank. All of these things could be taken away from you, and, and you, would, you could handle it. You would your happiness would not be affected. And then you think about other people as well. So your spouse, your children, your close friends could die. And if they die, you, know, you could still be fine. You could still be happy. And then you think about your own death, your own mortality. And the Stoics uh, really recommended that we periodically really take some time to think to, to think about what it would be like to have, a, you know, to be diagnosed with a terminal disease and to go through the process of dying. Okay. And the whole idea is that you prepare yourself for having these things happen to you. And also, the flip side of it is that doing this makes you a lot more grateful for what you have. 
right? It makes you more appreciative for the people you have and the possessions you have and everything else right now. But also it makes you, um, prepare you for the inevitable day when you're going to lose all these things, right? At the very least, when you die, you're going to lose them all, right? And so, it, so it, this is not done in a morbid way or in a worrying and anxious way. It's done in a very calm, contemplative way. It's not positive thinking, which is kind of unrealistic optimism, but it's being realistic and facing the realities of life with courage. Another one of their um, exercises, I'm sort of running out of time, but just uh, so the view from above is where if you're feeling really overwhelmed with anxiety and problems and stress, you, this is an exercise where basically you imagine yourself, you're looking down at yourself from above. And so you're kind of rising up, looking down at yourself with all your problems and difficulties. And then you, Think about all the people around you, your neighbors, who also have all kinds of problems that they're dealing with, health problems, financial problems, relationship problems. And then you rise up further and you think of the whole city and all these people with all these problems. And then the whole province, the whole country, the whole world. Think of these billions of people who are all dealing with, many of them with much worse problems than what you have. And so the idea is that it helps to put things into perspective so that you don't feel as overwhelmed by these problems. Morning and evening exercises are, in the morning, uh, you should take a few minutes to uh, kind of think about the day ahead and the plans that you have. Think about the different situations you think you'll be in and think about what do I have control over? What do I not have control over in these situations? And, um, and what virtues will be required in these situations? And then in the evening, the evening exercises, again, take a few minutes, something like Marcus Aurelius did with his, his notebook. And, uh, you know, think about the day that has passed and what, how you handled things, what did you do well, what you, could you have done better. And it's not to feel badly about anything, because the Stoics were totally against regret or guilt. They, they said, the past is past, and you don't regret anything. You don't feel guilt, but you learn from the past. So, you know, what could I do better the next time kind of thing? Okay, so that's the, of course, obviously it's a lot more than that, but we've just kind of scratched the surface, but it gives you an idea of what Stoicism is about. So just to summarize all of this, Stoicism is really all about how to have inner happiness and tranquility. That's what it's all about. And happiness results from being a good person. We need to know how to avoid the things that erode happiness, all the things that interfere with happiness. Enjoy your possessions, your reputation, your health, but don't get too attached to these things. They're not the basis of your happiness. Use reason to overcome negative emotions. Distinguish between what you can and can't control to avoid negative emotions, anxiety, depression, anger, envy, and so on. Practice negative visualization and these other practical exercises to reinforce a stoic mindset. And all of this requires dedicated self-awareness and self-observation. So practicing stoicism means you're observing yourself. You're being trying to be very aware 
of what's going on in your life, how you're responding to people, why you're feeling the way you're feeling, and, uh, and you know, working at it over time. So that, uh, with the, the final thing, I'll just leave you with this thought from Marcus Aurelius. Very little is needed to make a happy life. It is all within yourself, in your way of thinking. So that's it. So that was Rod Martin giving his talk on Stoicism. I hope you enjoyed it. If you're located in the London, Ontario area, Hala has several events coming up. There's a games night on June 3rd, 2018 at 7.30pm at the Poacher's Arms. There will be lots of games available so you don't have to bring your own. Feel free to come out and socialize with your fellow humanists at this event. The next monthly meeting is going to be on June 20th at 7pm in the Central Public Library. We have moved this from our normal location into the Stevenson Hunt Room B, which is right next to our regular room. Please take note that the location and date has changed for this meeting due to scheduling conflict. We will still have the talk on patriotism by Dr. Charles Jones. Our summer solstice picnic is coming up on Friday, July 9th. This is a members-only event, so it's a great time to start a new membership or renew an existing membership. More details will be announced at the next meeting and through our mailing list. Lastly, just as a reminder that the Pride Parade is coming up on July 29th. We are excited to have one of our members getting married in this parade. So if you'd like to borrow or purchase a Hala Pride t-shirt, please talk to one of the board members at the next meeting. Or feel free to email any of the board members. For links to the HALA website, visit our show notes at www.humanistagenda.com. Also on this website, you can discuss the episode in the comments section. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and please join us in our next episode where we will have a discussion around the topic of stoicism. If you want to follow along with the slide part. Oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs>